0: We started a series last week called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, most of the time, if you've been with us, we just kind of go verse by verse through a book, and we've been going through Matthew, and uh, we made it all the way through chapter 4, and uh, we're taking a little break, doing more of like what I'm going to call a topical study, on emotionally healthy spirituality, and last week we introduced it. But I want to introduce this week by looking at the first slide by saying this is that the truth about humans is that we possess feelings. So unless you are capable of feeling and telling the truth about what you are feeling, you're not living truthfully. To live a truthful life, to have a true self, have a true understanding of yourself, requires that you have the capacity to feel and the ability to describe and accurately tell what you are feeling. Tell the truth about your emotions. We are people with heart pains and heart problems, which means we require heart solutions. We require heart healing. However, with all of our heart pains and heart hurts, we end up, most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, try to solve our heart problems with intellect, knowing more, willpower, I'm just going to push through this, or morality, self-righteousness to feel better about our lives. And I believe that most of us, as we grow up, if we're not attuned to the emotional side of who we are, we lose our hearts. The beauty of kids is you know their heart, don't you? Do they hide pain from you? Does your kid like hurt and just like run away from you? No, when your kid is young and he's hurting, what does he do? He tells you. He's not afraid to tell you. If you hurt his feet, ph- this isn't just physical pain. This is like if you like, yelled at him and he doesn't like that you yelled at him, he'll come to you and say, Dad, I don't like that you yelled at me. And it's as we grow up, we begin to lose our hearts. We get hardened to these genuine emotions that God has given us so that we have lost our heart. We don't even know who we are as humans. And it's important to just keep reminding ourselves that God made us this way. Emotions, these things that we feel are not part of the fall. They're not evil. They're not things that we're trying to push and get rid of and suppress. They're actually integral to what it means to be a human. However, most of us, I don't think, have really done well, have done business, have done work with this aspect of our humanity, and it is to our great peril, Because it is actually the very thing that keeps us from what life is all about, genuine relationships. Relationships. We are only as happy as the relationships we are in. I don't care what kind of house you have, what kind of job you have, I don't care anything that you have. You are only as happy as the healthy relationships that you possess. So we all come out of the womb as children experiencing life through our feelings. They're primary to our human experience. They awaken us to who we are as humans. And unless we rediscover our ability to feel deeply, to express our feelings clearly, we will not find full life. Think of it this way. You can't love anyone who doesn't have a need. Like I don't know if this is true in your husband wife relationship or your dating relationships but if the person you're dating or married to never has a need, how can you really love them? Because love is expressed through meeting a need. And the way our heart speaks is through feelings. It is the voice of our heart and since the mouth cannot talk our heart language in a say in a sense, it speaks through how we feel. I had to turn to Matthew 26, and I read this last week, but I want to read it again and continue to to look at this passage of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's a lot of different questions you can ask of this passage, and you get a lot of different answers. But the question we asked last week, and I want you to have in the back of your mind as we read through it is, what kind of emotions did Jesus experience in one of the deepest, darkest nights of his life? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew records these words, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Okay? Let's just stop right there. I want to make I want to highlight this point and it's going to become clearer and clearer throughout the sermon, but I want to just root it right here. Who is Jesus talking to when he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Who is he talking to? His disciples. What is Jesus doing with his disciples? He is sharing the deep vulnerability of how he is actually feeling. He's not like scared, in a sense, and overwhelmed in all of this grief because of what he knows what's coming ahead the next day, and he just doesn't say this, disciples, stay here. i got to go over here and pray. He doesn't make this just a God thing. He doesn't just hide his emotions. He doesn't like, guys, I'm having a kind of a tough day here. I've got to go over here and pray. Now, what is the epitome of what a true human look like? What does he do? He tells the closest people to him in a place of vulnerability, my soul is overwhelmed in sorrow to the point of death. If Jesus said that to us today, we'd be like, how could you do that, Jesus? You're Jesus. You shouldn't feel that way. And yet, Jesus, as the epitome of humanity, has the ability, the capacity to share how he is really feeling with his disciples. You know why we don't do that? Because we've had friends who are like the disciples, right? What do they do? Dear God, like, they're not praying, they're falling asleep. And Jesus, as you read through the story, is verse 39, he goes a little further, his face to the ground, he prays to, now to the Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And so he returns, and I mentioned, he finds his disciples sleeping. And he says, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? Again, I'm going to reiterate this throughout our sermon. But when people heard us, what do we do? Do we acknowledge our hurt, or do we just say, oh, guys, that's okay? Jesus actually acknowledges his hurt from his disciples and says, guys, couldn't you stay with me for one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray so you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus goes a second time, and he prays the same prayer to the Father. Take this cup from me but let your will be done. And when he came back, he found them again sleeping. So he left them once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He came back to the disciples the third time and said, are you still sleeping? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man's going to be delivered to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Father, thank you for these words that should encourage us in the ability to express how you have made us, because these are gifts, these feelings that you have allowed us to, to feel, these emotions that we possess are actually gifts that you've given us. So I pray that you'd help us today and over the next few weeks and even the rest of our lives learn how to be people who have hearts that can be restored back to what they should be, and we can have people that are growing in our health of emotions, and we'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Contrary to a Disney Pixar movie, there are eight core emotions, not four, okay? And uh, on the screen here, I have for you the eight core emotions. They are like, and I want to be clear, there's tons of emotions, but these are like the primary colors, and I'm colorblind, so I can only tell you from an intellectual standpoint. I guess there's three primary colors, right? Red, yellow, and blue, right? And you can put all those colors together, and a good painter can come up with amazing, beautiful colors by mixing the primary colors. These are not the only feelings that we can express, but they're like the core ones, that we get down to the root of who we are as humans. And these eight core emotions that that people have identified, this isn't me making this up, this is from psychology and from Christian um, counselors, all kinds of stuff, they've kind of identified these eight core emotions as hurts, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, guilt, and glad. When I read those eight emotions off to you, what what... What comes to your mind? Say it out loud. Yeah, right? Now, here's like a light bulb moment. Who told you they were negative? Society. Experience. What do you say? Oh, Luke. Luke. (laughs) Yep. But... uh, I agree, like, there's a lot of nuance and complexity that we can go into these. But my initial point here I want to see is, like, we have somehow been conditioned to think that most of these are negative feelings. And what I want to say is that all eight of these feelings, in a sense, are, I'm going to use it this way, they're neutral. They can actually be gifts. They can actually be positive things. That when we feel anger, do you know that Jesus feels angry in that Garden of Gethsemane section we just talked about? Anger is just this deep desire to want something. Like that's anger. But then that can lead us to, like it, to an impairment of our humanity and an impairment to relationships that we would call rage. You know, and my kids will get mad at me for this, but I'll be like, Would you just clean your room, blah blah? Dad, why are you so mad at me? And I'm like, I'm not mad at you. This is mad, like, like rage at him. You know, and I'm like that, like, the anger, the, the the passion is a good thing. That we can turn into rage, and you can see I can go rage pretty quick. Waking my kids up back, all the kids, just kidding. Or it can lead to this other beautiful gift that God has given us. And so this is what I want us to see is that these eight core feelings are where uh, our heart deeply and, and most importantly speaks And if we don't speak honestly about our heart, about these eight core feelings, we're not going to be people who actually are truly human, who can actually have genuine relationships with other people. I want to say three things about feelings as we introduce this this morning. I'm going to give you these three things quickly, then we're going to look at one of these core emotions, hurt, and that is our plan this morning. Number one, these core feelings, number one on the screen, I think I have a picture for you, are passwords. Emotions are like passwords that get you access into your heart. And unless we speak, the very words that our heart is speaking, we can't get access to our heart. It's just like a password. Like, if I kind of remember my password and it's off by one letter, can I get into it? No, I have to have the exact password to get into where I want to get into. And it's the same way with the heart, that if we want access into the heart, we actually have to speak the same language that our heart is speaking. It can't be close. It can't be nuanced. It can't be faked. It actually has to be the exact same word. And so this is why emotions are so good. They actually give you access to what is going on in your heart. You want to know what's going on in your heart? Listen and feel what your body is saying to you. Listen to your emotions. That's what your heart is saying. Number two, they're not only passwords, they're lanterns. And I'm talking like old school lanterns like that you carry like this. That once you get access into it, then they begin to let you explore and get around. They can actually help you identify what is going on in your heart. They, they shed some light, not like light for the next 50 years, but light for the immediate presence to know what is actually going on in our hearts. They allow you to see what is happening in your life. So emotions, when you have the right password, they allow you access into your heart, but then the emotions are also like lanterns that help you identify and explore what you're feeling and what's going on in your heart. But then number three, they're keys. They're keys. You're like, well, didn't you need a password to get in? Yes, but they're keys in this sense. Picture your heart as a house with lots and lots of rooms. Most of us, have lots of rooms in our heart, but we only allow a thousand square feet of that house inside of our hearts to be accessed. We're really good at allowing a thousand square feet of our four thousand square foot home to have access, because in that a thousand, that quarter of that heart, we have management, we have control. And once people begin to unlock the door into a different room, a dark room, what do we do? We, We don't like that. You're not allowed access into that room. This is where I live, this is where comfortability is, and this is where we're staying. But what emotions do is give you access into the dark rooms of love where God is waiting to fill you and give you life. See, we shrivel up. We have this whole house to live in, but because of our humanity and because of the way that we have experienced life, we we shrivel this whole house of God's love down to one room when God is inviting us to a banquet. We're happy to eat McDonald's. So ultimately, unless we are capable of experiencing all eight of these feelings in their purest forms... Until we can actually and truly express our needs, openly express our desires, crave authentically in our longings, we people who will not become who we should be, and that means we cannot have right relationships with God, others, and ourselves. So this morning I want to look at the very first. Uh, Core emotion, and just give you kind of like a an example, if you will, of what you could do with all eight of these emotions. And if you want more resources, I'll put some on the on the website this week. And if you're mad at what I'm saying, we can meet up this week too. All right, um, talk through this a little bit more. But hurts the one the first core emotion that I want to deal with this morning is called hurts. At the risk of oversimplification and being Captain Obvious, hurt. Hurts. To be human is to experience hurt. You can't live in this cursed world, this broken world, and not experience hurt. And we come up with expressions to, to, in a sense, to kind of define this experience of hurt like this. It was like a spear in the chest. I think on the next screen. It crushed me. The rug was pulled out from under me. I was stabbed in the back. It was a blow to the gut. I was blindsided. It broke my heart. It ripped me in two. It tore me to pieces. These are expressions that we use when we're hurt. And when you actually read those, those are violent images. Those are things that if they really happen physically, you would experience a lot of hurts. But there's not just a biological response to hurt, there is an emotional response to hurt. Because if someone punched me in the face, there would be this biological pain radiating throughout my body, correct? But you know what else would be? The closer that person was to me as a friend, the more emotional pain I would actually experience. It's not just a biological hurt and woundedness. It's actually we feel that in our emotions. It is like a, a stabbing in the back. And yet, what often happens is we say those things, those uh, phrases right there, generally not to the people who hurt us, but to other people, not necessarily at gossiping, so maybe it's gossiping, but generally to other people to explain what that person did to me. Let's just be maybe I'm the only weird person in this room, but when we're actually talking to the other person who actually did it, how many times do we find ourselves saying things like, oh, it's okay, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's no big deal, no worries. From the smallest of hurt to a wounding of hurt, most of the time when the people that we are interacting with have hurt us, we just deny it. We say it's no big deal. And when we minimize this pain and this hurt, we leave ourselves bleeding. So my question is this, how many times, how many beatings can you endure before your heart gets calloused and you can no longer hurt because... There's nothing left to hurt. Last week I used the imagery of an iceberg. And returning back to that metaphor, the part above the water that people see is, you can't hurt me. You didn't hurt me. I'm fine. But when you get deep down in that iceberg, what do you see? What do you feel? What do you experience? A deep wounding. And those wounds and those hurts when they stay below the water they keep us from genuine life that God has called us to actually have he's asking us to participate in so neglecting our hurt on the next slide neglecting our hurt or not feeling our hurt often leads to greater consequences than the hurt itself in order to cope with our hurt with our hurt sorry we look to fixes we look to Ben and Jerry's, or we look to wine and alcohol, or drugs, or sex, or maybe we're going to be a good Christian and work really hard and do good things. But all these fixes don't bring life back to your heart. These fixes we turn to end up numbing our hearts. They deaden our hearts. They, they're fake substitutes for the life that we really want, we think life is found in them when life is found in relationships with others and our hurt is keeping us from those. Avoiding hurt renders us numb and numb hearts can no longer hunger and thirst for healing which is what we need. So I've, I've mentioned that feeling hurt in a sense is just part of what it means to be human, right? Right? And it really hurts, it really sucks when people hurt us. But the question is then what do we do with that hurt? And what I want to share with you is one uh, tool that we could say is like when we deal with hurt in the wrong way, the impairment, the, the way that it hurts us is when we lead it, allow it to lead us to resentment. Resentment is bitterness resulting from being treated unfairly. And I want to say four things about when we are hurt, we don't deal with it properly, and it impairs us in our relationships. It impairs us and leads us to resentment. And number one, resentment, as I mentioned, is just the product of trying to find solutions that reject hurt. When we deny our hurts, we minimize our hurts, and we don't cry out for healing, resentment sets in. When we resent others we're able to re- deflect the focus from our internal pain onto someone or something else. That's what resent- that's why resentment is so gratifying in a sense. It's because you no longer have to deal with your own pain. You can project all of your pain onto who? This other person. And so many of us carry around resentment towards other people and and we'll talk about this in a minute, but we, we don't even realize it. And, or we're like, oh, we don't really resent you. Many of us carry it around, but never acknowledge it. Resentment takes the place of our pain. And that resentment, that bitterness that we have towards other people, renders our hearts incapable of being, true, full, being truthful to who God made us. And unfortunately, resentment is like a logical reaction to hurt. It justifies itself based upon the actions of others. Nurturing a grudge, continuing a a grudge generates its own energy that keeps us from experiencing and dealing with our own hurt. So number one, resentment is just what happens when we don't deal with our hurt. Number two, we try to hide our resentment from others and even ourselves. If the truth of humanity, if being a true human is to define what we really feel, then when we don't feel our feeling of hurt, we remove ourselves from the truth. And when we remove ourselves from the truth of hurt, we try to hide it from the person we are hurt by and even ourselves. And so I say this tongue-in-cheek, but how many times has someone who has hurt you asked you, are you okay? Your spouse says to you, are okay? And how many times do you say what? Yeah, I'm fine. Because to admit our hurts is to admit vulnerability, and to admit vulnerability is to admit need. I said this last week. You know why we hate talking about emotions? Is because it leads us to need, and we hate feeling needy. And so, the lack of admission of being hurt, telling other people that you have they have been hurt, that we have hurt them, and they have hurt us, is very counterintuitive. We seek to hide it so we can have life, but that denial is actually destroying the ability to have life. Number three, resentment. Not only is what happens when we don't deal with our hurt, number two, we hide it from others. But number three, resentment blames others for our hurts and makes them responsible to fix it. We tell ourselves if the person who hurt us would change, then our hearts would be better. When Shelley and I got married in 1999, that's how long ago it was, it's crazy, we began noticing a pattern in our conversations that maybe you and your spouse have this pattern too. We would say this word all the time to each other, the word nothing. She would ask me, Scott, what's wrong? And I would say, nothing. Now, maybe there was nothing wrong, But if you knew Shelly, she was pretty intuitive. And she knew when there was the tiniest thing off with me. And I bet if your spouse and your person that you live with, they know that too. And I used to just say all the time, nothing is wrong. Why? I didn't want to be vulnerable to her. I didn't want to admit my own need. And when I was acting outside my normal self, she would regularly be asking me all these questions, and I'd be like, it's fine, it's fine, nothing, nothing, just leave me alone. Eventually, one of our rules in our marriage relationship, it wasn't because I knew all this, it was just like the rule that we came up with is when we ask questions, we can't say nothing. We could lie (laughs) and say something else, but we couldn't say nothing. so i would deny my hurt my pain by just responding nothing and often that nothing was nursing a grudge against her a perceived wrong that she did to me and now it's turning into something greater that i'm resenting her but let's dig a little deeper what am i really doing If I'm honest with myself, many times I was just seeking to punish her by making her beg to have a relationship with me because I won't speak the voice of my heart about my perceived hurt. What I mean by that is nothing's wrong. So if she really loves me and I say nothing is wrong, is she just going to walk away? No, she's going to keep digging, isn't she? And I'm begging for a relationship. I'm making her do all of this. I want her to do all the work that I should be doing. I want her to heal me. Whoa. And I wrote this this morning when I was thinking through this. I was just an immature little brat who says, you've hurt me. Now, I'm not going to tell you how bad you made me hurt, and you've got to figure out what's wrong, and then you're going to fix it. See why marriage is so hard? you just say nothing. Rather than be honest and admitting that you're hurt, number four, resentment leads to irrational, heart-destroying actions. When we deny our own hurts and we blame others for our hurts, it leads to destructive actions. We believe it with all of our hearts that we have the right to do anything we want, anything we want to say, anything we want to do towards that other person, all because that other person deserves it. We justify all of our actions based on the fact that they have really hurt us. And the more they hurt us, the more we feel justified in our resentments and our actions towards them. And sometimes the greatest way that we justify is not actually by the presence of actions and strong mean words, but it's actually by running away and not giving that person your relationship. It is not the feeling of hurt that causes me to sin. It is the unwillingness I think number four on the next slide is the unwillingness to feel the feeling of hurt. I am unwilling to experience my hurt. It will harden into defensiveness and revenge-seeking behavior. See, the... When we feel hurt and we don't deal with it properly, it leads us to this impairment of resentment towards other people. That you can say, no, I don't resent you, but you really do. Or you can say, this has hurt me, and now I'm not going to withhold my relationship from you. I'm not going to be honest with you. In all of that, how is your relationship happening, working? It's not. But the gift of this feeling of hurt It's a a gift. This feeling of hurt can actually be beneficial. It can be helpful. Until we stop resenting and, and take ownership of our own hurts, we can never experience healing in full life it is your own individual responsibility to deal truthfully with your hurts. No amount of pretending, denying or lying will change that truth. And what the beauty of hurt is is that when you express your hurt and you are honest with who you are and you have been hurt, you are, in a sense, crying out for healing. That's the beauty of being hurt, is that you're crying out, "I want to find healing." So, as I've mentioned, feeling hurt is human, and this feeling is a gift because it's the heart's voice. It's the, ver- the heart's crying out to find and experience healing. But here's the problem when we let go of all of these fixes and we try to actually be honest with our hurt, and we, we don't look to these other things and we're just left with our hurt, what happens? we see that these memories still carry such great pain. The aches from the wounds that we've experienced with broken, or broken relationships with loved ones is still there. The sting of rejected love has not gone away. What I'm trying to say is like, when you're honest with who you are with your hurt, it hurts. Which is why we don't want to feel it. We want to run to resentment, and run to fixes. So we keep trying to stifle the pain. But we need to admit our hurts with words and actions. In an act of true vulnerability and admitting our hurt, we are reaching out for healing. There is no healing without vulnerable admission that we are hurts. When we admit our hurts... We're hoping for heart healing. We're exposing our wish to experience freedom. To admit is to begin to hope. And when you can begin to hope for healing, there's chances that your heart will actually find it. The most intimate relationships are those in which we acknowledge hurt to one another, that you can actually say to people, I've got a wounds." And I need to lean on you. I need you to help me heal. It is when you have the ability, the vulnerability to go to the closest people and say to you, I have been hurt by you. And it's actually impairing our relationship because I'm finding resentment towards you. And I want you to know that and I want us to deal with this hurt together. So what do we do? Number one, as we land this plane, we begin by feeling our feelings and exposing our hearts. We awaken our emotional and spiritual needs, desires, longings, and hopes. The first thing I could just say to you is feel your feelings. Isn't that stupid? But we try so hard to do everything not to feel them. Second, tell the truth about what's happening inside of you. I think so many times we're good at partial truths, right? Are you mad at me? I'm just frustrated with you. you angry with me? I'm just not happy with you. When you get deep, deep down, there is that emotion of anger and just be honest about what's happening inside of you. The more honest you can be about what's happening inside your heart, the more heart life you're going to actually experience. The more rooms that you open up into the doorways of your heart, the more capacity that you have for the love of God, which then you have the more capacity to spread that love of God to others. We wonder why we don't have so much love of God to give to others. It's because we have such small hearts. When God is saying, I'm inviting you through the good news of Jesus to experience the healing that I have actually brought to you through the resurrection, to allow you the vulnerability, the need to say that I need relationship. I have been hurt. And I need the good news of the gospel and faith to reach out to you. And allow you to have power over me. That you still may reject me. And you still may hurt me more. But by the power of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, I can come to you and say, you know what? This is what's happening. Being honest. Being honest. Third, we live out our rediscovered freedom. We begin to grow more, recognizing our, our desire, our, our innate craving for full life and inability to control it. Like, this is, con- this, this is like contagious inside of you. Once you get a taste of this healing, you want more and more and more of it. You want more and more life. In the garden, Jesus was wounded. He was hurt. He was open about his hurt towards his disciples. And in that hurt, where did he run? To God to find what? Healing. And I believe this is one way that we can look at hurt, this this core emotion of hurt, that people hurt us. And, and if we don't deal with it properly, it can lead to this impairment of resentment. And the more you don't deal with it, the greater that resentment grows. And the further you are away from genuine relationships with others, when the good news of the gospel says that when you are hurt, there is healing and you run to God and you find your hope and your faith in Jesus and then allows you to be vulnerable and needy to the people that have hurt you for the reconciliation of relationships so that the church could actually be the place where healing happens, that the outside world could say, that's the relationships I want. So the church can be a great witness to the lost world by just admitting that we've been hurt. Father, thank you for a few minutes to think through these concepts. And in some ways, this is a lifetime of learning and trying to figure out how to deal with our hurts. And Spirit, I believe that there are lots of people who have been really hurt. So Spirit, give us the boldness because of the good news of Jesus to actually be honest about them. Give our hearts a cry for healing. Give us boldness to go and to, to talk to those who have hurt us if that's what we need to do. We would please not allow Satan to deceive us into thinking we're good when we're not good. Maybe we are good, but if we're not, do not let Satan trick us into thinking that it's okay. Because we want to Open the rooms of our hearts to your love and to your presence where there is fullness of joy and this is one way that we do it. And allow those rooms to be opened, so that the outside world could actually see what a full life looks like, what genuine relationships look like when God, you are present. In so many ways, our hearts are just yearning and longing for the new world's or these hurts will be gone. But in the present, God, I pray you'd help us to be people who learn how to love each other, forgive each other, and be vulnerable with each other and express our needs. In Jesus' name we pray.